Well, hey, everyone, uh, again, uh, welcome to uh, part two of the series that by now you know is called Unstuck. And, and just in case you weren't here uh, a couple weeks ago when we got this kick started, a little bit of the, the background to this series, um, recognize that there, for all of us, are areas in our lives where we tend to get stuck. And what that means is there's a a situation, a circumstance, uh, an area of our life where we know we'd like to move forward and to get past something, but it feels like we just continually are spinning our wheels. We get stuck in whatever it might be. And so this series we're doing is we're kind of taking a look at some specific areas where it's easy to get stuck, and we're looking at what God's path is for us to be on that pathway towards unstuck. All right. So this week, as maybe you've already seen and noticed, we're going to be talking about a pretty big topic. In fact, it's a topic that I know affects all of us in one way or another. It's one that, quite honestly, it takes a a lot longer than one sermon to unpack and to truly help with. It can take a lifetime. In fact, um, it it, it can be something that sticks with you your entire life. It's something called anxiety. And so just so that we all are on the very same page as we get started today, I thought it might be good to define terms. And if you look on the screen, here's a a definition of anxiety that uh, uh, I'm going to work with. Anxiety is this. It's a, a feeling of worry or uneasiness Based on what? Based on uncertainty about something that's going to happen. Uh, Based on uncertainty about the future. And I did a bunch of research and looking into, um, you know, what the experts say about anxiety and statistics and found out some interesting things. Like, for instance, uh, did you know that uh, the United States is the most anxious country in the entire world? I found that quite interesting with all the amazing blessings that that we have and so many other countries don't have. Um, Also found this statistic that over the last 80 years, as they've done this testing, that we have become as a nation more anxious every single year for 80 consecutive years. We all seem to either be someone who has anxiety or, or knows someone. Um, and as the experts try to explain why these statistics are true, that anxiety keeps growing, the most honest experts, the most honest psychologists will tell you that they aren't quite sure. They're not exactly sure why, but they do point to some interesting factors. Um, Three of them I thought I'd point out because, again, I kind of want you to, first of all, begin to understand the the problem, then we'll look at the solution. But one of the, the factors they say that can cause anxiety or maybe is a reason why anxiety is growing is increased options in our lives. We have, we have more options and choices than ever before. I mean, think about it. Your wife calls you to stop at the store on the way home and to get a packet of taco seasoning. All right? There is a lot of taco seasoning. 
And I get anxious just hoping that I pick the, the right one. Thankfully, she tells me which one to get. But whether it's that or the programs that we can do for our kids, I mean, we live in a pretty affluent area, and there are so many different things that we could put our kids in, right? What, would he, what do we do? We don't want to ruin our kids by putting them in the wrong thing or them missing out on something, right? So there's choices and options and programs with our kids. Did you know that if you go on Amazon, there are 100,000 options, over 100,000 options for toilet brushes. We have options upon options upon options, and it, it can at times paralyze us. In minor things like toilet brushes or big things, how to, how to best raise our kids. And there can be stress around whether we're going to pick the right thing for our lives or for our families. Another thing they talk about is an overall heightened awareness in our world. Because of the internet, you know instantly that there was a terrorist act, let's say, over in Europe. You know instantly about some natural disaster that went on halfway across the world. You know every jig and jog of the stock market, not just at the end of the day, but every second of the day. Our, Our awareness has heightened when it comes to the things that are going on around us. Social media obviously has something to do with that where we know everything that someone's doing and, and all the things that we're missing out on, FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. So this is not part of the, the sermon, but it's just some free advice, uh, again, free of charge. One of the best things you can do, I think, if you're struggling with anxiety, or even if you're not, there's this little feature on your phone that you can do, which is to turn off all notifications, so that every time someone emails you, you don't need it. I, I, I know that sometimes work calls, but otherwise, turn off the notifications. Or even better, turn off your phone, right? The third thing that, that experts say uh, can cause or this heightened uh, thing with anxiety would be um, continued isolation or relational isolation. We're more aware than ever before, but because we're so into our electronics and technology, we have become increasingly isolated from other people. We know what people are doing, but we don't know them so often. We haven't allowed people to speak into our lives. We haven't done the hard work of cultivating relationships so that when we come into a difficult time, we have someone that we can talk to and be honest with and can be honest with us. We've all been there. We've all struggled a little bit or a lot with anxiety. Anxiety about the kids, anxiety about the finances, anxiety about school, anxiety about the future, anxiety about health, and on and on and on. And for some of us, anxiety pops up and it quickly goes away. For others of us, it's something that we struggle with almost every single day. I was talking to um, some people in in prep for this message today and just kind of asked them what it felt like to have anxiety. Um, One person that I talked to said that it's like carrying a big weight around with you all the time. And you just want to 
get rid of it, but you can't. And she said it becomes exhausting. Another person said that it's this fear or this worry that that sort of controls you so that you can't act the way you want to act and you can't say the things that you want to say and you can't think the way you want to think. It just kind of controls everything. A couple years ago, I used an example or an illustration for what anxiety can be like. Thought it might be worth uh, sharing again because I know you don't remember everything that I tell you um, or say. Uh, Have you ever played the dizzy bat race at a birthday party? It's where they give you a bat. It's a really bad idea. They give you a bat. You put it on your forehead. They tell you to look at the ground. And then what are you supposed to do? Spin around. I think they usually say, spin around 10 times. And, you know, another, you know, unsuspecting victim from the party is spinning around too. And then after they're done spinning for 10 times, you're supposed to run towards the finish line, see who can get there first. Which is a lot of fun to watch when you're not in the game, right? But as, if you've ever seen this happen, after they spin 10 times, what can't they do? Run straight, exactly. And you see kids or adults kind of veering off this way, falling down, running into each other, running into fences, or even worse, right? Because what happens is your focus is so much on the ground and you've been spinning so much that there which you, where you want to go is impossible for you to get there. That's what anxiety can do. You're so focused on something. You're so focused on whatever it is that is causing you fear that when you get up in the morning or when you look up or when you try to move forward, you know where you need to be. You know where health is. You know where you want to go, but you can't get there because you've been in what I'll call the spin cycle. So what do you do about that? Well, on the screen, here's your encouragement. Stop doing that. If you know you can't run straight or live healthily by spinning so much, stop spinning. And those of you who are continually battling anxiety are like, oh, I'm so glad I came to church today. I would have never thought of that. Thanks, Ben. You are such a magician with words. You know, you know how to get right to the heart of things and you know, just stop doing that. And, and I'm being a little sarcastic because we all know that it's not easy. It's not that easy. If, If all I needed to do was stop, I would have already done that. But it's hard to stop. You see, here's the thing. Anxiety has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes there's physical components. Sometimes there are environmental components. Sometimes there's hormonal components. And quite honestly, one of the best things that sometimes people who continue to have challenges with anxiety that they can't get rid of. So one of the best things to do is to see a doctor or a Christian counselor. Those things are very real and very good directives. But there's something else very true that, that I want to share with you today that we're going to spend the rest of our time on. And really, it's our first fill-in for today. That the root cause of anxiety, the root of it, is spiritual. There's a lot of factors to it. There's a lot of layers to it. Totally get that. But at the very root, there's a spiritual problem. There's a spiritual challenge. Or to say it again, or to say it a different way, if if everything was perfect, there would be no anxiety. 
the root cause of anxiety is spiritual. And so we're going to spend our time unpacking that root cause because I think if we can get to the root, we will start to be on the path towards getting unstuck in our minds and with anxiety. We're going to look at some words that uh, one of Jesus' best friends wrote about, I would say, I think it was about 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. Um, This friend of Jesus and and disciple was named Peter. And uh, he kind of, in this section, sort of helps us understand the enormity of the situation and the importance of the situation when it comes to anxiety. And so I'm going to skip ahead to kind of show you the context in which he's speaking, and then we're going to come back to verse 6. But we're going to start in verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this, Be alert. Can I get your attention? Be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this is the context in which Peter's writing about anxiety. And and he says, Christians, you need to understand that there is someone out there, the devil, who wants nothing more than to rip you away from the joy that God wants to have for you. Wants to rip you away from the confidence that you can have. Wants to rip away your peace. That the devil is strong, he's powerful, and he's prowling. He's like a a roaring lion. What do you do when you're face to face with a lion? What I would do is run. Run from the lion, right? I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe you're not supposed to turn your back to the lion. I don't know. I know that's true with some animals. But that's what my instinct would be, just to run away. But it's interesting. That's not what Peter says. Look at the next verse, verse 9. He says, resist him. Battle him. You don't need to run. In fact, you can't run from him, really. But you can resist him. You can oppose him. You can battle against the devil, whether it's in the area of anxiety or anything else. How? By standing firm in the faith. There's a spiritual component to resisting the devil. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That we all, if you call yourself Christian, face this temptation of anxiety or something else. But did you notice there's this confidence in Peter's response? The devil is a prowling lion. He is dangerous. But you and I can be confident because we have the tools and we have the Savior which has taken the teeth out of the devil's bite. We shouldn't ignore the fact that he's prowling, but we can resist him. And then Peter, in this context, gives us some tools to do that. Look at verse 6. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore. He's talking to people who get anxious, and he says, Humble yourself. Now, at first blush, I would say that this is some very odd advice. Because at least the way that we think of humility, we think of someone who has their head down and maybe doesn't have the strength to to get up. They they think so low of themselves, right? And it would be, it's kind of odd to think 
that Peter's advice to someone who's anxious, who already seems to be low more than likely, his advice would be to humble themselves. Well, let's see how Peter continues the rest of verse 6. Be humble by or therefore recognizing that you are under God's mighty hand. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. The key to humility isn't feeling bad about yourself. That's not humility at all. That's self-pity. The key to humility is recognizing you are not as great as the one who you're with. The key to humility is recognize there is someone really, really great with you. You see, when we humble ourselves, we're humbling ourselves because we recognize that God is mighty and that he is with us. Peter references a a term that's used many times in the Old Testament. Um, When the Bible in the Old Testament talks about God's hand, it's always talking about his power and his strength and his protection and his preservation, right? But I, I also think, I also think that these words aren't an accident when you think about an event that happened in Peter's life. This was before Jesus died. And Jesus, I'm sorry, the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. They were in a boat. Things started to get um, a little bit uh, dark and stormy. And um, all of a sudden, they see something walking, it seems, on the sea. They thought it was a ghost, but they come to find out as it started to speak to them that it was Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said what? He said, Peter, why don't you come out onto the water? It wasn't frozen. It doesn't freeze in Israel. Come out on the water and walk with me. And Peter, in a great, I would say, display of faith, because I don't think I would have done it, he actually steps his foot out of the boat and starts walking on the water. Then what happens? The storm gets bigger, the wind starts blowing, and Peter begins to sink. And in that moment, as he's beginning to sink, what happens? Well, let's turn to Matthew 14 and see. Immediately, as he was sinking, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And what happens in that moment, as I am sure that Peter was struggling with some sort of quick anxiety right there, is that as the the waters begin to envelop his body and his head, probably one of the last things he saw before his head was covered is this hand. The hand of God. The hand of Jesus. And it says it caught him. And that's huge. The hand, the powerful hand of God grabbing you and catching you. Um, If you've ever walked um, on, let's say, an icy sidewalk with a kid, what's better? That they hold your hand or you hold theirs? If they hold yours, they're going to fall. But there's confidence when the one who's powerful and strong holds on to you. Do you know why you can humble yourself? you know why we should? It's because we live each and every day under the hand of a mighty God that we sang about at the beginning of the service who created the world. Great, great are you, Lord. Peter says, 
the first step towards anxiety is humbling yourselves, not feeling bad about yourself, humbling yourselves under the mighty hand, the almighty hand of God who has you in his hands. (laughs) Our next uh, fill-in goes like this. The grip of anxiety weakens when we remember that the grip of God never does. I'm not saying that anxiety is just going to all of a sudden go away forever. (laughs) But it begins to loosen its grip when we realize that God never loosens his grip on us. Let's let's go back to verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up, he may raise you up in due time. In due time. I think one of the biggest problems why we tend to get frustrated with God or or tend to think prayer doesn't work is that when we pray about something, we, we think that it should work like this. I pray about it on Sunday, and then by next Sunday, everything's better. Because we, we pray that God would lift us up in my time, in Ben's time, in the time that I've set out. But Peter says, God has decided to lift you up in due time. And due time means scheduled time by him. It means his time. It means that he's still got this even though he hasn't changed your circumstance. Because he has a plan that's bigger than our plans. And he will lift you up, but it won't be in Ben's time or your time. It'll be in due time. In his time. And it It might be a month, and it might be a year, and it might be five, and it might be more, and it might be not until we get to heaven. I don't know his time, but I know he has time. It's good to know that God has a plan in all things, that he has a a bigger picture. Maybe in the meantime, we're not done learning. Maybe there's something he wants us to learn in the meantime, before the due time happens. Maybe there's some area in our lives that he wants to prune or help to grow. I don't know the reason, but I know he has a plan. Let's go to verse 7. So, With all of that said, that we're under God's mighty hand and that he is mighty, that he has us in his grip, with the fact that he will lift you up, I don't know when, but in due time, in his time, he says, cast all your anxiety now on that God. Cast all your anxiety on the God that he just described in verse 6 with all the attributes that we just talked about. That's the God you can cast your anxiety on. Throw off your anxiety. Get rid of your anxiety. And as I was looking at this word for cast or to throw off, I couldn't help but think about um, basketball and uh, my oldest son. So, Uh, When there's a basketball game during the season, it's a pretty long day. And he leaves real early in the morning for school with, like, his school bag and then his basketball bag and his lunch bag and then some other bags. I don't even know what's in there, but just bags, all right? And, And when I get to a game, 
It doesn't happen every time, to be fair. But a lot of times it does. One of the first things he does is cast off all of his bags onto who? Onto me. And then he leaves with his basketball bag, but he's cast off everything. Now, I don't know why he does it. I think it's because I take it. Um, But I do know it's lighter when you cast off. Or maybe if you have littler kids, you go to the mall, they're wearing their coat. What's one of the very first things they do? Take it off, lay it there on the ground, or give it to you, right? Because when you're burdened with something, you just want to cast it off. You don't want to hold on to it. Peter is saying, based on verse 6, that we need to be diligent and intentional with mentally and emotionally and sometimes even physically casting off, working to cast off, to throw off, to throw off our anxiety. Because you know what we normally do with it? And a very anxious person holds on, don't they? What does Peter tell you to do? cast off. Give it to someone else. And in fact, I had this pointed out to me this week. I thought it was just amazing. Look at the word anxiety on the screen. This will help you remember what you need to do. What's in the middle of the word? I heard it. Helmut. That letter, it's in yellow. I. In the middle of your anxiety is I. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I got to fix it. I got to keep them healthy. I got to get more money. I, 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 I. It's like a, a spin cycle at the end of a bat. And you get up after all the eyes and you can't walk straight. You can't get where you want to be. You're unhealthy. Why? We didn't cast off. It's I, I, me. What am I going to do? We need to work every day to cast off. (laughs) I've got three disciplines or practices for you that can help you intentionally cast off. (laughs) Oh, let's get our next fill-in first. At the center of your anxiety is I. At the center of your anxiety is I. Um, We need to pray. We need to listen. And we need to surround. We need to pray. We need to listen. And we need to surround. We need to pray. In those moments where you feel like you're in the spin cycle, we need to be intentional and diligent with praying and and intentionally with our words and our minds casting off to the Lord. We spend so much time looking for solutions and answers. What if we spent just as much time, if not more, just giving it to him, giving it to the Lord? The next is we need to listen. You spend a lot of time listening to Google for your, whatever it is you're anxious about, trying to figure it out. What if, We spend more time listening to God. Not necessarily how to solve your problem, but how to get through the anxiety that the problem is causing. You know, it's interesting. 80 years, every single year, we've gotten 
more anxious as a nation. And this is not done by any sort of like official poll or anything like that, but it is interesting to think that over those 80 years too, we certainly become as a nation more self-reliant and self-dependent versus God-reliant and God-dependent. I wonder if there's a correlation there. And the third is the surround. You need to surround yourself with people who are willing to speak into your life and that you've allowed to do that. That relational isolation is a big deal. But surrounding ourselves with just anyone doesn't work, but surrounding ourselves with the right people can be something that God really, really uses in big ways. And here's how the section ends. It's my favorite part. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, I think, um, I think it's pretty amazing that Peter is writing about anxiety. Because as I was studying through this section and thinking about the author, Peter, um, it took me back to the day before Jesus died. And Jesus is in the temple getting ready to die for my sin. And Peter's in the courtyard warring himself around a fire. And this, this girl, this teenage girl, comes up to Peter and says, I, you look and sound like a Galilean. You're, you're one of his followers, weren't you? And what does Peter do? Don't know the man. He gets asked twice more each time. He denies it. In fact, starts calling down curses. Why, why wouldn't we make a point we need to swear? I don't know. Peter, Peter started this maybe. I don't know. But starts calling down curses. I don't know the man. You know why he did that? Because it's pretty ironic. Just a few days earlier, or maybe a couple weeks, Jesus predicted this would happen. And what did Peter say? No, never, never will I deny you. But why did he act this way? Because in the moment, anxiety popped up. And it led him in a direction that he didn't want to go. And then guess what happens? Jesus dies and Peter's thinking, I'm never going to get this resolved. I just need to hear from Jesus. And Peter carries into Saturday and into Sunday morning guilt and anxiety. What does Jesus do? Well, first thing he does is he rises from the dead, which is our greatest hope and our greatest confidence that even in the midst of our sin and our anxiety and our inability to get things right, that we have been forgiven and that heaven is ours. But along with that, he also remembers Peter. And he sets up a special one-on-one with Peter because I think Jesus knows that Peter's anxious. And through that conversation, Jesus shows Peter not only the extent of his power over sin, but comforts Peter's heart knowing for him to know that even in his anxiety, Jesus cares for him and he can let 
go of that anxiety because he has a great, powerful God who conquered the grave and one who knows him and cares for him. That is a lethal combination, my friends. All power, all love. And what happens to Peter? He becomes one of the bravest men, the least anxious men. I'm I'm sure he still struggled with it at times, but one of the least anxious men on the planet for the rest of his life. You see, our last villain. Jesus was willing to carry your cross. He's also willing to carry you or your fear. Peter's a perfect example. Someone who struggled greatly with anxiety, but God still cared for him. My friends, God cares for you right now. This is no magic solution that no one's ever going to be anxious again, but it is a pathway to getting unstuck. It's getting the focus off of I and getting the focus up high. (laughs) Getting the focus off of me. This doesn't rhyme as well. And getting the focus on he. It's when we're in the middle of the spin cycle. Stop spinning. Because you realize and know that God is mighty and he loves you so much. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Sometimes it may feel like I'm the only one that feels anxious, like no one around me can truly understand. And yet, this is a room filled with people in big ways or small. We've all been there. This is a common challenge that we all face, but one that we have a pathway for all of us to. Lord, may that combination of your mighty hand that we're in your grip and your amazing care that you come to even people who are anxious, that love from the cross, may that combination and our continual focus on it be our pathway to take a step to unstuck and then maybe two and then maybe three, all with your help and your strength. Amen.